As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. You know, we've given Tottenham a lot of shit on this podcast over this managerial search, but they have seemingly delivered what they said they were going to do and that is a manager who's number one focus is his ability to change the mood, change the ethos, change the culture. Hello everybody and welcome to an emergency broadcast version of The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Sound the klaxons, bejewel the villages with bunting, let fires be lit in the high points of the land. Tottenham Hotspur have a new manager and he is Ange Postacoglu. Uh, Joining me, your host, Danny Kelly, for this special edition of the show are the full crew. Of course, we had to get everyone on board. The Athletics' Charlie Eccleshare, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. Welcome all. Hello. Hi, Danny. Hello. Hello, Danny. There they go. Listen to the excitement in their voices. Um, Let's get straight into it. The long wait is over. Spurs have a new boss. And the important thing is that it's taken them 72 days after sacking Hishu, who shall never be named again. Um, first things first, who has won the bet? It was meant to be more or less than 72 days. Would the winner please make themselves known? It's a tie, isn't it? It's a tie. It's incredible. Um, who who it said really it would is. be more or less? Who said it would be more or less? Jack, you said, said more. more. Yeah, I yeah. said less. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing that... Um, now we don't get to do to see people, you know, running naked over London Bridge, whatever the forfeit was. <laughs> um, and there, there we are. Yeah, I think technically, well, depending oh, on. We go. No, no, no. It's a draw. It's a draw. Just for just for the record, Mourinho was a morning sacking, and Nuno was an evening appointment, wasn't he? Right. So that would be that That's would be true, slightly yeah. longer. Conte was an evening sacking. Jack, I can feel the earth moving under your feet, Jack. I'm not worried about this because it was obviously implied at the time that we were basing this on days rather than hours. So all this, this is just pointless. Yeah, it is. Are we going to have to take this a cast? Yeah. Let's get your reactions then. I'll start with you, James, because you happen to be the Spurs fan on the podcast. Um, what's your reaction to the news that it is Ange Postacoglu? Well, firstly, kind of relief that they've actually got it sorted with a sort of decent chunk of the summer to go I, I, you know I mean the Nuno situation for all we talk about it being a similar length of time obviously 
appointing a manager a day or two days before the start of pre-season is not ideal preparation for the season. Uh, so, so getting it done now before the players have even gone off on holiday, you know, the international players, uh, it's definitely good. Uh, I'm so, I sort of have mixed feelings about it. I've read a lot of very positive things and seen a, very, a lot of very positive things, including a piece that Charlie's written this morning that I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. And as we've said before, he's obviously a good guy, he clearly has a very good personality. He's clearly very good at motivating players and understanding players as people which I would contest was a weakness of at least two of the previous three managers. But there is an undeniable sense of underwhelmment that the manager of Tottenham is a guy who's only managed in the Scottish Premier League, Australia, Japan, uh, and what the Greek third division or whatever it was. And I very much take on board the point that, uh, you know, how do you expect an Australian guy who didn't have a spectacular playing career to manage in the Premier League, you know, he doesn't have the benefit of a big name or whatever else. So he could be the best manager in the world. He's going to have to take a long route to get there. And I completely take that on board. You could actually say that was a positive, that if it was a player who had made his way from the from the, uh, the Greek third division to the Premier League, we'd be saying that is an amazing triumph for determination and talent, wouldn't we? Exactly right. And that probably actually stands you in better set as a manager than it does as a player anyway. Um, and look, but, but, uh, for all you, you know, your concerns about that or my concerns about that, we said a few weeks ago, we want the the manager of Tottenham to see the Tottenham job as the pinnacle of their career. And I would be very surprised if Ange Postacoglu didn't see the Tottenham job as the pinnacle of his career. Yeah. What about what about um, you, uh, Jack? You you have we got we Spurs fans got reasons to be excited? Or is it underwhelming? I mean, I think we have to ask this question. What should our reaction be? Uh, I- don't really think it's my place to tell people what their reaction should be. I personally, I what a lovely podcast this is. How my lovely. main feeling is that I feel <laughs> incredibly personally impressed by Postacoglu and everything that I read and hear about him. For I mean, on a, on a football level, clearly he's not worked at the top level, but he has succeeded at everywhere he's been. He's won things everywhere he's been, doing playing great football in the process. He he could not have done more in the in the jobs that he's had. Uh, I suppose if you were really going to quibble, you could say he could have done better in the Champions League with Celtic, but whatever. Um, but more than that, I think he's just a really impressive individual. Like he, the way that he talks to people, the way that he interact, the way that he motivates players, the way that he speaks to fans. I think that he is. You know, we've given Tottenham a lot of shit on this podcast over this managerial search, but they have they have seemingly delivered what they said they were going to do, and that is a manager whose number one focus is his ability to change the mood, change the ethos, change the culture, get the fans back on side, bring that sense of alignment back. You know, I thought when Tottenham said all that, I thought, well, it's all very well saying that now, but this is going to be another broken promise, like like the Tottenham DNA promise two years ago, where Tottenham made this promise and then they did the exact opposite with Nuno and then they did the exact opposite again with Conte. But in fact, this time, Tottenham have kept their promise. They have got someone who who should be able to bring the whole club back together. Um, so yeah, I'm positive. I, I like him. I think he, I want him to do well. I think he's a great person. Um I don't I've got no idea how it's going to go on the pitch. Uh, it's impossible to get. It's impo- You know, the, the the experience golf to the Premier League is uh, you know undeniable. I I just there's and there's not really many precedents for this because generally teams don't really hire coaches from outside of the of the top five leagues. Um, so yeah, I don't know how it's. Basically, I'm going around in circles here. I don't know how it's going to go, but I I do like him. So just before you go to Charlie, 
Uh, my, my worry is... I had no intention of going to Charlie, by the way, just moving on straight on. My yeah. worry is, uh, and for all the talk of like him being, you know, fun vibes dad or however it is he's being described, uh, and that there is a massive value to that, and that is a thing we've talked about a lot, and that, that definitely needs Let's call it the Martin Yole comfort blanket that he provides. Exactly right. yeah. I'm not mentioning that other mm. bloke now, are we? Um, no. That is incredibly important, but the position Spurs are in now at the tactical side, like what happens on the training ground and what happens like from the dugout is, is incredibly, incredibly important now. And I think in 2019, when they replaced, when they replaced a manager, they probably could have got away with pure vibes and it probably would have worked. And they went completely the other way and it broadly didn't. Now I think they probably need a bit of both. And I'm very confident we'll get the vibes. My concern is whether we're going to get a tactical plan that works. And I'm not saying that we're not going to, but I'm saying that's my concern. I think Postacoglu, though, is more... He, he's tactically pretty sophisticated. It, it it takes a bit of time to get used to. And I think that's the big thing that, to me, has come out from days now of speaking to people who have played under Postacoglu, worked under Postacoglu. And I should say as well, I'm, I've made this point before, but... I mean, that slight journalistic equivalent of when you watch a new signings highlights on YouTube and they look amazing because obviously anyone's highlights look amazing. Ditto when you generally, when you speak to uh, colleagues of a player or a manager, you have a similar sort of thing because especially if they want to go on the record, then they're going to want to talk positively. Though I would say the level of dedication and admiration for Postacoglu that's come through from the number of people I've spoken to over the last few days has been really striking. Like they... They really revere him. Um, it reminds me a little bit of how Jose Mourinho was at the start of his career when he was viewed almost in this kind of cult-like way. Obviously, that changed over time. But they really put Postacoglu on a pedestal and it really irritates them. A lot of people who know him well, this, this idea that he won't be able to make it work um, in the Premier League. But what I would say, I think the key thing is that he will need time. Because basically everywhere he's been, results are slow to start off with. People question him. He's very attacking. And so with that, there will be defensive calamities. So there are going to be some bad results early on. There are going to be some bad performances early on. He's probably going to get prickly because as much as he's a great orator, he doesn't really like it when people question him or his way of playing or his principles. So that's all going to happen. So then are fans, are the club's hierarchy going to accept that and say, yep, let's take a long-term view, let's accept these teething problems, or is it all going to get toxic pretty quickly? I really, really think that's important, how much patience there is for him to, you know, for there to be a slow start and whatever. I mean, I I think Spurs fans and, you know, I cannot tell other people because this is the nicest podcast, how they, they should react, but... Given what we've been through with the last three managers, I think it's it's incumbent almost on Spurs fans to give this bloke a go, um, a fair go, as as his fellow Australians would say, um, because uh, you know, he's got he's got certain advantages here, hasn't he? The football can't be any worse than we've watched in the last three four months. It just can't be. Um, and I also think, in view of what you were saying, uh, James, about what needs fixing, he comes to a club where the things there are multiple things that need fixing, and they're interconnected. I get that. But I suspect that they are the things that a, a really good football coach or manager would think I can do this because they are essentially knitting together the team as a team and dealing with defensive deficiencies. The problem is for most managers is if, you know, and look at the teams that went down in the Premier League this year, for instance, if you can't get a tune attacking wise. Spurs, Spurs conceded 60 
four, five goals this season that just passed. I think he can improve on that hugely. And that and, and a lot of things will fall into place from that because um let's assume the forward line stays intact. That they will get they will get goals. Listen, it's been a, a, a you know, he's taken a good while to get here. Um people might say that he's kept his light under a bushel, Ange Postacoglu, but as we say, to get from uh, the back creeks of Australian football to the Premier League. Um, the journey is almost certainly going to be complicated. Let's get more of an expert insight into Postacoglu's time in Australia, both managing club teams and the national side. Tom Smithies, who is the executive editor of the A-League um, and has covered Australian football for 20 years, sent us this. Ever since he was appointed Brisbane Raw coach in 2009, Ange Postacoglu has been a man on a mission. That was the point at which he decided however he coached and wherever he coached, he would coach his way. He'd been sacked by the Young Socceroos in 2007 and that was the time at which, for the only time in his life, he said he compromised his principles. When he got a break at Brisbane Raw after the previous coach had been done for drink driving, he never looked back and started the brand of football that we now see being played by Celtic in Scotland. All through that process, he's taken on anyone who got in his way and has refused to compromise. There was the former Socceroo at Brisbane who went to the club board and said, it's him or me, and gave them an ultimatum. They said, close the door on your way out as you leave the club. It went on at Melbourne Victory, where he gave, the, gave the, some uh, wonderfully creative players a very defined way of playing, and they admitted afterwards it made them better players. When he became Socceroos coach just before a World Cup, he got rid of the old players straight away, the old guard who had refused to leave, brought in a swathe of young players, took the game to Chile, to Holland and Spain at the World Cup, and at one point were beating Holland well into the second half. He went on a World Cup qualifying campaign after that, and in the middle of it all, on a Thursday night in Tehran, introduced a completely different tactical system that he believed was necessary for the team to go to the next level. A few of us as journalists in Australia questioned it. He gave a short thrift, continued with it, and took the team to the qualification for the World Cup. But at that point, he decided that Australian football wasn't on the same page as him and decided that he'd walk away just at the point where he'd secured what should have been his biggest triumph. After a few months, he went away to... Japan won the J-League playing an incredible brand of football. Out of the blue, got this call from Celtic and again, refused to trim, refused to change the way that he played. He walked into a club, took on the identity of the club, took on the identity of the supporters uh, and, and has won, uh, won trophies, but more importantly, won acclaim. As always happens with Ange, it seems when he runs out of challenges, he needs to go and find a new one. It's happened at every point. He won two titles with Brisbane and felt the need to go to victory. When he took the Socceroos to the World Cup, they didn't... They didn't, uh, the Football Australia didn't back him in the way that he wanted, so he went on looking for another challenge. He won the league in Japan, that was enough, he needed another challenge, he went to Scotland. Now comes the biggest challenge of all, but you can guarantee one thing, that Ange Postacoglu will coach at Tottenham in the way that he feels he needs to. He will, he will run that club in the way that he feels he needs to. He will engage with the fans, he will embrace the fans, he will talk the fans' language about the romance of the football that they want to see. Whether or not he succeeds... One thing will be certain, he will do it his way. The interesting bit about that is the idea of sticking to your principles. Um, he came away from them once and regretted it. That thing of football managers, you know, you, you're going to get sacked anyway, so you might as well do what you want to do. I've got some quotes from Postacoglu here, and he's talking about football philosophy in an interview done a few years ago. He said, when I see coaches and I ask them, they want to know, what is your philosophy? I say is this. If you had a game this weekend that would determine whether or not you had a coaching career at all, how would you play? And that is your coaching philosophy. If your natural inclination is, 
If that's uh, a big game and it's that important, then I'm going to set my team up and they're going to be hard to beat and we won't lose and we won't take risks, then that's your journey. Embrace it, take it, and make it what you want. Um, I know that if there was a game this weekend that would define whether I had a coaching career or not, I'd go for it all out and try to win the game by as many goals as possible. Once you embrace that as a coach, you don't fear the challenging times. I mean, he might as well get Beethoven um, to play it directly into my ear. That is such music to my heart and my mind. Have a philosophy, stick to it, and let that philosophy for your Spurs manager be that you're going to get on the front foot and attack teams. Easier said than done in the Premier League, but that was what I took from his career so far, that if he can, he gets forward, which is all I ask. He's genuinely like evangelical about these principles. I mean, I, he he just will not compromise on them. A lot of it comes back to his dad. His dad, he has this incredibly important relationship with. Uh, he died in 2018 and his dad, he got into football to get close to his dad, who was this quite um, quiet, uh, quite tough man. And that was his way in. And his dad loved watching good football. And he says he that's part of the reason he will not veer from those principles. And I think what's so interesting about it is 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 whether that becomes an issue because he got criticised with Australia and that's part of the reason he left because he was deemed as too dogmatic and and that will be interesting again because I'm sure if results aren't good early on and it happened a bit at Celtic he started slowly I'm sure if he starts early on in the kind of as much as fans love swashbuckling style if they look defensively suspect then I think there will be calls for oh could Postacoglu could you just be a bit more pragmatic could you tweak it a little bit and he just won't like he will stick to those principles but when they and that's why when they come off they are absolutely amazing to watch and have been at pretty much all the clubs he's been at certainly since Brisbane Raw and that was we took that like 15 years ago i guess the benefit he'll have is spurs have just finished eighth playing largely uh, pretty crap football despite scoring 60 odd goals i would say not much of the football has been great to watch so that actually probably gives him a little bit more time than he otherwise would have got at a club like Tottenham, I would say. I'm not suggesting people are going to be delighted at the prospect of finishing eighth again next season. But if they start slowly and are around that kind of position after a couple of months, I don't think there'd be quite the uproar that it would have been if they had finished third or fourth. People have got to be prepared for the possibility that Spurs have got like 12 points in the first 10 games or something, something like that next season. Because they, you know, it's going to be a huge learning, it's going to be a learning curve for Postacoglu. You know, he's never worked in the Premier League before. He's going to be coming up against a higher, higher level of manager and opposition player week in, week out than he's faced before. It's also a huge, a huge problem for the top well, not a huge problem but a huge learning curve for the Tottenham players as well like these Tottenham players have forgotten how to create chances like they've forgotten how to play on the front foot they've forgotten how to keep the ball um that's been really really obvious watching them in the last few years you know you saw remember when they tried to play on the front foot at Newcastle United how that went so it's going to be very very difficult I think I think a lot of these Spurs players are going to have to learn a lot quite quickly um, I think there's, you know, again, there's big personnel questions as well because they're going to have to sign another centre back, they're going to have to sign another midfielder, they're going to have to sign a goalkeeper. Probably, and this is even before we started to talk about Harry Kane and what might happen there. So it's, I think the first few months of the season are going to be tough. Like, I'm sure there'll be a big, in a sort of like, uh, in terms of what Postacoglu says, I think there'll be a really good feel good factor and everybody will give him credit. But I think what we see on the pitch is going to be, is going to be difficult. Um, while the players get up to speed. So I'm um and I just really, really hope that everyone has patience for that. I'm sure the fans will. And I, I think the club have to as well, because why would you appoint the guy if you then expect Tottenham to be fourth in at Christmas? You know, it doesn't really make sense. I think as well to give fan to give the Spurs fans their credit, we, we remarked on this at the time, but 
the results after the first ten after Nuno's first ten games and Pochettino's first ten games weren't that different. But the fan fans are smart enough to know when they can see that there's progress being made, there's a plan, there's they're, they're building towards something, which clearly was the case under Pochettino, clearly wasn't the case under Nuno. And so you'd think there would, assuming that there is that that is evident, which I think it will be, that hopefully there will be that level of patience uh, afforded towards Postecoglou. What's interesting about like the step up in level, he's a big believer that one's ability to play his football is more of a mental thing. How tough you are, how resilient you are to keep oh, doing dear. the same things even when you make <laughs> mistakes. Yeah, so it's not it's not just about alibis, alibis. <laughs> <laughs> excuse, excuse, excuse. But you see, like how, how how he did that with Celtic players and the Spurs, you know, because they're not at an incredible level. But and on the tactical point as well, you mentioned the, the lack of European success is probably the one thing that counts against him from his time at Celtic. Well, it won't be a problem this year, will it? No, it won't be. But what what is interesting there is it speaks to a lack of tactical flexibility. That was the perception was that he 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 would never change, and. Sometimes that can run that ran into problems in Europe, and I guess the fear would be in the Premier League, which is more tactically sophisticated than the Scottish Premiership. Will he have issues there? Yeah, and my suspicion is that some of that criticism about the failure in Europe is to do with a, an absolute, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, failure to recognise um, that Scottish football has its level, um, and those results. Um, not notwithstanding an occasional good run for Scottish teams are about par for what they're what, I mean, Celtic have been getting. terrible in Europe for ages. Absolutely terrible. Um, and I, I get no pleasure from saying that, but they have been. And uh, I'm not making an excuse for Postacoglu. Um, that, that is just the fact of it. That, that was no better or worse than Celtic have been doing um, for a decade now. Um, can I be the first? Uh, maybe I'm not, but I'm going to claim to be the first. Say that if this is a success, we will be calling in Postacoglu, won't we? No. Oh, why not? <laughs> no, let's let's not. Oh, we will. I, I no, don't want to. Yeah. I don't want <laughs> you, Mike. That's going to get edited out every week. <laughs> yeah, let's, okay. let's not. Let's not compare. I mean, look. I mean, obviously, we hope that uh, you know he's there for as long and is as successful in terms of kind of the overall mm-hmm. package rather than trophies as Pochettino. But like, like comparing him to Pochettino now is completely unhelpful. I think, and I know we've kind of done that with the previous couple of managers. Sorry. James, it was just the fact that they've got a quite similar phoneme at the front of their name, which allowed me to make the pun. But sure, but I just don't think we should be comparing him to the Chelsea manager now. Let's, why let's, don't you let's, remove let's give yourself from your altitudinous equine friend, yeah? Get off that high horse. Maybe we shouldn't, but, but people definitely will. Like People definitely will compare him to Watch Chino. That's inevitable. All the way, because, you know, a, it brings that same sense of kind of restart, of clean slate, fresh ideas. Let's get everybody pulling in the same direction again. Like, it, it is unavoidable. Uh, you know, if, the, if they start slowly, people will say, oh, Pochettino started slowly, didn't they? And then if they, you know, beat Aston Villa 2-1 away, people will say, oh, they beat Aston Villa 2-1 away, didn't they, in November? It's, it's, it's the same. So I think there will be a lot of, I think that is unavoidable. I agree with James, though, fundamentally. Like, it's not, it probably isn't helpful or healthy for, for, for Postacoglu because it's, like people do, I, I, one of the things I hope that with this appointment will do is allow people to kind of start to leave that. And I, you know, this I'm speaking about myself here as much as anyone else. Start to leave the sort of 2014 to 2019 stuff a bit in the past because I don't really think picking over it endlessly is doing anyone any good. I mean, maybe it will help him though that he is a very different age to what Pochettino was. I mean, he's 57, so it's not like he's the the young emerging force in football, which is what Pochettino felt. The age thing, which some people have been using against him, which, you know, maybe I would say this on on, on my side of the of the uh, 50 barrier, 
it just looks like pure ageism to me. If, if Spurs had got Carlo Ancelotti, not one person would be saying he's quite he's quite old, isn't he? He's just a brilliant football manager. You can also take out about a decade of Postecoglou's career where he was managing Australian youth teams and then he was in the wilderness. Like that was basically the 2000s was a bit of a wilderness period for him. And that's kind of why he feels like he should be 47 when he's actually 57. Yeah, the um, the, the comparison I think is, and again, the age thing is still not quite right, is, is more less with Pochettino and more with Martin Yol, someone coming from outside of the Premier League bubble, um, already experienced and giving off a rather fatherly vibe although of course he had played in England he did have that when he still had hair Martin had played very long hair for West Bromwich Albion um, among others in, in his time there Can I just quickly say sorry Danny on that Postacoglu as much as he is a father figure he's very distant and aloof and quite intimidating mm. to his players and this Good. is one of the like I, th- I think he's a re- I talk about this in the in the piece I've written on him like he is a really interesting sort of bundle of contradictions because on one hand all his players talk about being this great motivator and how he really understands people but he's very aloof he says like he's never had a he's barely had a conversation more than a minute one-on-one with his players he likes to keep his distance he's quite a introverted person naturally so it's, it's just interesting how he manages to sort of be so beloved by his players partly from the way he empowers them and trusts them and defends them rather than being like an arm around the shoulder guy which he absolutely isn't no i mean and and some of that is probably a bit necessary particularly if we think about he who shall not be mentioned and his criticism of the mentality of the players they may well need collectively or individually what my dear old dad would describe as a leather injection i.e a boot up the arse um, which is what, what what I think they might they might be incoming for one or two of them. I certainly hope so. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
We'll have a quick uh, sort of handbrake turn here now. We'll get on to what he's got to do. Can we just take a moment to shout out uh, Eric Lamella, Brian Hill and Sevilla for their Europa League? Absolutely. And of course, the the other Spurs connection there, Jose Mourinho. Oh, yeah. um, Who's a ridiculous, scandalous anti-football. Had to end somewhere. And there it is. a, a, A crashed and bloated whale on the beach of humanity. That performance. It was amazing watching the game because it, it reminded me so much of Tottenham 2020-2021. Like, I thought Roma actually started pretty well and they went 1-0 up early on. And I thought, oh, they're actually pretty good, you know, Roma. This is, you know, Jose's really got it. He's back, he's back. He's going to, you know, maybe we were wrong to hate him so much. And then they were, after they scored, it was one of the worst worst team performances in the big game I've ever seen. It was, comp- it was awful. Like, it was not just total anti-football and ugly. It was also really... It was like really unhelpful, like inefficient and useless because they just sat on their own penalty area, like they like Spurs used to do. And if you know, Sevilla kept crossing the ball and crossing the ball, and eventually one of those crosses is going to bounce in. And so it proved. And Roma at no point showed any enthusiasm for playing. And I was watching it, thinking, "Oh my god!" Like I've seen this movie before, like a hundred times, only three years ago. Um, I it was it was so ugly that it was like it was like watch it's like watching a really shit game from a tournament. Like it was actually much worse than the standard you would normally expect of, of two of two like nominally good club teams. Was it was it like Greece in two thousand and four? It Ooh. was a little bit, but a bit less effective. Yeah, yeah, they didn't yeah. win. Didn't have Carastas um, on top, I guess. And it was such a reminder to me who was like I, I've been t- saying to James in the week. Oh, you know, maybe Jose's back. Maybe we were too mean. We, we were too harsh on Jose. Maybe he's actually a legend after all, and we were just like we we got it wrong by hammering him at Spurs. And you watched that, and you thought, oh my god, it really is awful, isn't it? It really did make me think, and there's so much chat off the back of Conte getting sacked and that rant about Mourinho being sacked before the League Cup final and it being mad. And maybe it was, but watching that game, and obviously Sevilla and Manchester City are very different teams, watching that game did make me think, would this have been what we would have been served up in that final? And even if Spurs had gone 1-0 up, I mean, on and off the pitch, it was an absolute scandal of a performance from Roma. Horrific, horrific stuff. I'm so happy we weren't subjected to that. Imagine Spurs doing that in a League Cup final. Um, it would have been awful. On a much happier note, um, ex-Spurs players, um, you'll all know by now that Royal Antwerp, with both uh, Toby Alderweireld and uh, Vincent Janssen, won the Belgian title. A Belgian title that went down to the last second of the last game uh, on the last round of matches. Indeed, after the 90th minute of those matches, there were three different champions in Belgium as the results tumbled one over the other. Um, in the end, it was Toby Alderweireld's smasher from outside the box that got them a 2-2 draw, a gank that led them to being the newly crowned champions, the first time they'd done that for 60 years. Um, and I say Janssen and, and Toby, very, very delighted. An amazing end to the season and perhaps an argument for the much-derided Belgian playoff seat, um, a, a, a system that they use at the end of the season. All right, he's here. We're delighted in in different measure. There's hashtags out there, not anyone but Postacoglu and all the rest of it. But I, I don't see how he's any more or less uh, a problem than than many managers they could have appointed. They're all a gamble, as I say. And I think he has m- some qualities, uh, personal qualities, that I think might make him more suitable than many of the people that Spurs might have got. That's the easy part, isn't it? Um, so what's the what's the order of business? Um Jack, where, did, where does he start with this? Has he got any power over Harry Kane coming or going, for instance? 
Well, yeah, I mean, recruitment is going to be a big question. And it's worth adding that the Spurs don't have their, their new managing director of football in place yet. So it remains to be seen how much recruitment Tottenham can do uh, early on in the window. I I think there's going to be a lot of outs for a start. Um, you know, the squad is far too big. It includes players who who have been out on loan. They're obviously not in Europe next year, which means there's there's fewer places to go around in the squad. So lots of outs. And then I think specifically they're going to, yeah, uh, I think they're going to need, I don't know, four or five players probably. Keeper, centre-back, midfielder, put another player in the forward line. A lot depends on Harry Kane's future, which is up in the air at the moment, to put it mildly. And they're going to need, need players who can play this style of football. You know, Tottenham's squad has been built over the last three years for managers who play negative, reactive football. Like, they've got tons of wing-backs. They've got basically nobody who can pass the ball, really. Uh, they've got no... They've only got... They haven't really got a number 10. The only creative player they've got is Kulisevsky, who plays out wide. Um, and, yeah, it's a problem. So they're going to have to... It's going to have to be major surgery, I think, or fairly major surgery, to get the squad into a position to play Ange Ball. I do think on the Kane point, I, I, I wrote a piece on this... I can't remember what it was. Basically saying that I think the best way... That, often... It seemed, the thought seems to have been, well, the best way to keep Kane is get in, you know, a legendary manager who'll he'll be so impressed with he'll want to stay, i.e. like a Mourinho or a Conte. And that didn't really work. You know, yes, he liked playing under them in the main, but he didn't sign a new contract. I think ultimately, get someone in who's good and is impressive and makes it feel like they're moving in the right direction. That, to me, feels like the best chance of convincing Kane to stay. And I think Postacoglu will broadly do that. Whether it's enough, we don't know. What's also really interesting is that he... Postacoglu is used to having a lot more autonomy over transfers and recruitment than he's going to get at Tottenham. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Generally, his recruitment has been really good and he he has this knowledge of the Japanese market in particular, having managed there very successfully and won the J-League. And that paid massive dividends at Celtic. So he'll think he has an edge there. And, and, and he, in the same way he really wanted to empower his Australian players that don't have this inferiority complex. Don't think just because you're Aussie and you get looked down on that you're any worse. That was his message to the players in Japan as well, where I think there are a lot of unhelpful stereotypes about people from that part of the world. Um, but yeah, clearly that there is going to be a huge rebuilding job of that squad. I think what's refreshing about him is he will, he will very much feel like if you, if you've got the right, if you've got the right attitude, I can make a success of you. If you don't, fuck off, basically. That is how he is. So he's just not going to tolerate people who don't really want to buy into how he wants to play. And like with all of this, what makes it so exciting is that could go spectacularly well or it could go spectacularly badly. And in a few months, Jack and I are writing pieces about how the players don't like the training and want to get rid of him. That's not quite as exciting as, it, as, as it, to my ears. It might sound to you, to be, to be honest, um, Charlie. But <laughs> Yeah, journalistically very exciting. It does sound quite similar to quite a few things we've heard in the last few years. It does. But I mean, that's the truth of it, though, isn't it, James, that... Um, he has got a, a big to-do list in front in front of him, and anybody writing in the Athletic or elsewhere or podcasting that they genuinely know what's going to happen are fools, aren't they? Because it is totally unpredictable. Yeah, I mean, I have no sense at all, and I mean, obviously, seeing what happens in the transfer window might give us a slightly better idea. As we established in the last podcast, even having seen all of that doesn't necessarily mean we know what's going to happen next. Um, but I, I think the scope of what needs to change at the club, and this obviously won't all fall under Postacoglu's remit, is is so vast that it is so difficult to say. More than any other 
summer pre-season I think and I know we're not quite there yet it's, it's, so, it's so much more difficult to say what is going to come next and I don't think we even know what is going to be deemed acceptable next season until maybe like August when we have a better idea of the well, way Well, when, you, when, you, when you have told us whether it's been a good transfer window or not like you did last time. I'll make sure to let you know. Just just to dial back to the Kane point, I do wonder, I, and Charlie mentions this kind of perception that Kane would be wowed by a Mourinho or a, or a Conte. I, I do wonder whether he might just see a bit of himself in Postacoglu, like this guy who's kind of constantly had to, having to prove himself. And constantly kind of been mocked for, yeah, not not quite kind of fitting the mould in a sort of traditional sense. That I, I don't know, maybe, maybe there'd just be a way that, you know, and Kane isn't especially uh, like sort of touchy-feely as, as a person either. Is you don't think he's like, I never got the impression he was like a massive kind of, a player who needed an arm around the shoulder as much as maybe some of the other players in that squad perhaps probably did. And I wondered whether they actually might be quite sort of similar personalities and that might, I don't know. Maybe that will work. I well, well, I mean, I, 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 all, I'm sorry, and it, it is interesting, and maybe it's right too. I just th- thought that it strikes me um, in the last eighteen months that Harry Kane is looking for any reason to stay at Spurs, and that Spurs keep providing him with no such straw at which to clutch. Um, managers who um, don't get on with the players, don't help the, the team be an attacking force, which would help him. Um, it was described to me on someone on a radio show I did yesterday, an ex-pro who played for Spurs, with Danny Murphy. He said, Kane played the way he did in the second half of the season just past. He was bored, bored of sitting up front and not getting the ball. So he becomes an even more of a midfield player. Um, it, it's I, I, the appointment of Ange Postacoglu at least is not a negative for Kane. It's not another reason not to stay. Well, look, look the, the way I see the Kane situation is Daniel Levy is doing, it, it has done or is doing everything he can to try and stop other clubs coming in for Harry Kane. When maybe what he should have been doing or should be doing is trying to do what he can do at Tottenham to convince Kane is the place he should be. And I don't know, maybe Postacoglu will prove to be like a positive step in that direction, as you say. Yeah, the big threat at the moment seems to be Real Madrid. Um, I'm not entirely convinced about that because uh, Real Madrid. Um, they have got the money. They saved a lot of money by not getting Kylian Mbappe, but he's also on their on their shopping list. And when push comes to shove, no matter how much money they've got, um, uh, the idea that they might, given what, how they've worked in the transfer market in the past, Real Madrid, pay a hundred million euros plus for a player with no resale value, or presumably very little resale value. I forget the strikers now played to their thirty-seven. Um, I find it very, very hard to believe that they will be pulling on that lever, particularly when there are options like Aussie men out there who would, even if he wasn't the perfect replacement for Benzema, would still have huge value further down the line. So I'm very hopeful that Real Madrid will go away. But of course, I'm very hopeful about always about these things until the disaster happens and I'm left holding a smouldering bomb and my face is all blackened and my hair stood on end. Um, it, 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 a lot depends on whether Kane stays or not, doesn't it? And we'll we'll see what happens of that over the next couple of weeks. It does, but I do I do also think it's good that you've got a manager like Postacoglu, who, if Kane were to be sold, I don't think he's going to be moaning about that particularly. I think a lot of his predecessors would have been absolutely furious. I think he'll be like, okay, let's move on, let's get people in who really want to be here and build off off that. So in a way, I think he'd he'd be a good person to deal with the Kane departure. I also think there's an issue that. That that Kane will he or won't he? If he does stay this summer, 
then for until there's clarity on whether he's coming or going next season, I think that's going to really be a cloud over next season. Um, so you'll have all of that and then the rebuild when it happens. So, you know, it's, it's going to be tricky. Do you think Postacoglu coming in strengthens the argument to try to sell Kane on the basis that it's going to be a, it's, you know, this is going to be a transitional refresh season starting from scratch again. If the options are losing Kane for free in 2024 and this, you know, this Kane discussion dominates the season, if that, if that's option A and option B is try and sell Kane to Real Madrid for, let's say, I don't know, close to 100 million pounds, use that money to bring in players who can play Postacoglu's way and it, you know, strengthen the team in the next sort of two to three years and you kind of rip the sticking plaster off now, do you think that maybe that is that now would be a better time to bite What's the bullet? What's the monetary value of being in a Champions League for one season? It's all like 50 million quid, isn't it? It depends where you get. I think if you get to the quarters, it's around 100 million. I mean, Spurs, I, 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 but let, without getting ahead of ourselves by any stretch, Spurs' best chance of being in a Champions League the season after next is with Harry Kane playing for Tottenham next season. So, I... I uh, admittedly, that is a bit of a gamble if I did get a big bid this summer. But if, if Kane played up front for Spurs, scored another thirty-five goals in all competitions, helped Spurs finish fourth. But they got they came eighth with him scoring thirty in the league. I mean, look, my position is totally illogical on this. I wouldn't sell him for any money under any circumstances. the The idea that the the narrative to use that awful phrase would be continue to be about that that's up to us. We all work in the media. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how much money they get for him, they cannot replace him. And you cannot, and, and, and you cannot be doing Spurs, Beyonce and go-karting, saying we're one of the biggest clubs in the world, and be worrying about, you know, the 50 million quid they'd lose at the end of next season or whatever it's going to be. Swallow it up. You've got you're the great businessman. The club's worth four billion pounds, apparently. Swallow a bit of a loss on, on this. You can't sell that player. It's a gamble worth taking, I think, keeping him next season. Yeah. I, I think that's true. I do just think, though, to answer Jack's question, I definitely think Postacoglu coming in makes it more, it would be more, just taking the emotion out of it, I think from a footballing perspective, I would I would have a lot more confidence in Spurs to absorb Kane going with Postacoglu there than I would have done under someone like Conte. Um, so, so there is that. J- just really quickly to finish, just building something uh, James said about, like, what success looks like. So I do think that is really interesting. And I, when I was asking people about Postacoglu and saying, you know, Jingle be a success at Spurs, quite a few of them did ask that. Kind of like, well, what, what would success constitute? Which I do think is quite an interesting way of looking at it because we're sort of still... I don't really know. I don't know if next season's more about uh, building something, whether it's just about results. Um, and I think we, we kind of won't know until we see it. Like, it's possible that a season where they finish fifth doesn't feel like massive progress and yet conversely one where they finish sixth does if they do it in a certain way like I think we are at a point where uh yeah the way Tottenham play the sense of something building will feel really important given the last few years have been very much not that they've all it's all felt so short-termist do you know what I actually think that the two things are linked uh, now uh, Charlie and there's a there's a um there's a, a piece of luck that's fallen Ange Postacoglu's way, and that is they've been so bad since the World Cup um, that any improvement in Department A, the kind of football they're playing, is very likely to lead to an improvement in Department B, the results. 
I agree, um, yeah. That may not have been the case at the first half of the season when they were pottering on in third, nearly in third place, but the recent collapse means that those two things are very closely linked. And that's a piece of luck that's fallen to Levy and Bostokoglu's lap that they should try and take a little bit of advantage of. Man, I'm good at seeing the uh, the, the, the bright side of things, aren't that's I? That's certainly one way of spinning Levy's situation, <laughs> though, isn't it? It's a bit of luck that's fallen on his lap, not like a... A situation that he's created himself entirely. Um, uh, the the creator of the situation is clear. Yes, it it is very clearly labelled. Yeah. Last word, everybody. It, it's done. The bet is is even. Um, Jack. Yeah, I'm positive. I'm positive and cautiously optimistic. I think. Charlie. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think he's a really interesting appointment. I think fans will warm to him. I think they'll feel protective of him. I think they'll want him to succeed. Uh, in a way that hasn't always been the case with his predecessors. And I think the football will be really, really exciting to watch. So, yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting and exciting appointment. Which leaves the last word to you, James. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic as well. I would say Ange Postacoglu has my heart, but maybe not my head yet. Okay, listen, thank you, each and every one of you. Thank you for listening as well. Um, we will be, of course, if there's anything big happens during the course of the next few weeks when we're having a little bit of a holiday we will convene another emergency podcast say there was some movement on Harry Kane or something like that in the meanwhile thank you for listening to us and we'll end by sending a message from the view from the lane to Ange Postacoglu and because this is the nicest and most decent of all podcasts out there we shall do it in his native language goodbye Kalosorises Anise Bidihimenos The Athletic.